everyone. Welcome to Behind the Tour, the podcast from American Christian Tours that goes behind the scenes of the most iconic sites, yes, historic characters, and incredibly true stories in American history to discover how God has been at work since the very beginning. Well, this is Aaron Kronk, and I'm here with Corey Hockaday and Krista Wenzel, two of my favorite people in the entire world. And our desire and purpose, you guys, is to provide insight for today and hope for the future as we look at history from a biblical worldview. Wow. And on today's show, we're going to dive a little deeper into a topic we've touched on the last few episodes. Um, So if you haven't listened to those, go back and listen. But today we're going to dive deeper into the story of abolition and the uh, underground railroad. So stay tuned. We have so much to talk about. Um, But before we get too far, I know we have some questions from our audience and I think, yeah, I think we have questions and I think, do you guys have your coffee? I have my coffee literally in hand as we're going. So are you, are you pre-caffeinated? I'm I'm more than (laughs) (laughs) pre-caffeinated. I'm pre-caffeinated and currently caffeinating. So I like, um, I like to keep that, that good measure of making sure that I don't ever under caffeinate. So yeah, I think I've I've got like a little level, uh, like a coffee pot, you know, where the, where the level is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had that surgically uh, put in uh, a oh, few okay. years ago, so now I can kind of mm. just take a look in the mirror and see where I'm at. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I should like look your, at that. like your tank gauge. Like, oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my Wonder Woman mug is sadly empty at this point. So, oh, that the show sad. must go on. However, oh, that is, that is sad. well. I just want to compliment you on that mug, Corey. That's a that's a wonderful mug. Came from a good friend. Yeah. So well, what do we got today, guys? What's the uh, what's the question? Well, as you know, on each of our episodes, we do like to start by answering a question from a listener in our behind the tour guide. So whether you're curious about what our tour guide life is like, if you have a question about sites we visit, or just want to know where our favorite coffee shop is, you can join our conversation by emailing us at behind the tours tour, no S, just behind the tour, at axe-tours.com. This week, our question comes from Joyce, and she is wondering, when you are on the road, what keeps you energized throughout a tour? I feel like we already kind of pre-answered that a little (laughs) bit, but let's go ahead and dig into that. So, Aaron, when you're on the road, what keeps you energized throughout the tour? You know, I can two two things without uh, studying this question beforehand too much. Uh, two things come to mind. One is the uh, I get energy from people, and I love uh, and even if it's a low energy crowd, a low energy group, I can still get energy from them because. Uh, it's just their their expressions, their their their, their body language, their facial expressions, that uh, really encourage me. Uh, so I I draw energy from people uh, in the groups that I'm with. Uh, I'd say the other thing you guys is, and this might not come as a surprise to you, but I love naps, uh, and. I've found some really kind of cool places uh, on different tours in different cities uh, to, <laughs> to take a nap. And uh, you just have to sometimes set an alarm and make sure that you don't, you know, fall asleep face down in the grass somewhere. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's lots of places. Uh, in fact, I think I might write a, a short 
children's book one day that uh, has uh, all the locations of where you can take a nap in different cities outdoors. Where has been your favorite nap? Like, where is your favorite spot? Well, the you know, um, there is a place. Uh, it's kind of behind the uh, Department of Agriculture <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's kind of secluded. It's grassy. It, they've got beautiful grass there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know that's kind of odd, but uh, it's nice to lay your head on, and especially if they don't mow it. Uh, <laughs> you can – it's just like a little oh pillow, gosh. so uh, – <laughs> Yeah, that's probably more information than people actually wanted, but it's... But that's, uh, that's a real thing. Like, I'm not kidding when you said that. I'm like, I know exactly where you're talking yeah. about and what you're yeah. talking about because that is amazing. So, and I've found too, like that the little naps, I have legitimately fallen asleep leaning against a pillar just really quick because those, it's not, you know, not going, oh my gosh, we, we're sleeping on the job. It's finding that little amount of being able to mm-hmm. just rest and then be ready to go. And I cannot tell you how often I utilize that as well. So that's amazing. What a couple minutes does to rejuvenate you. Literally. So Corey, how about you? (laughs) I do love a good nap. Um, I am an introvert, so I don't know that I would say I draw energy from people. They tend to suck it out of me. So, (laughs) which surprises a lot of people. Because I'm around people all the time. So, you, yeah, you get a little bit creative with, like, just finding a quiet space. But, no, seriously, though, the secret over the years to, like, just staying energized overall is the quality time that I get to spend in the Word. Whether it's in the morning or whether I find a quiet little space, I can always find a recharge in the Word. And so... Again, whether that's tucked away sneakily in a corner in the Capitol or, you know, under a tree in Williamsburg, that's that's probably my most re-energizing moments are those sneaky little naturey spots with my Bible. Yeah, Corey, I'm glad you touched on, on something other than the physiological. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the spiritually, uh, the, the input that we get from God's word is super important while we're mm-hmm. on the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would concur with that. Yeah, I would say the same for Aaron, um, him and I, he and I, we are both extroverts. So it, you know, if I have a group, um, yeah, I don't, you know, not even like, it's hard to say any group because sometimes you just have those moments where no matter how amazing your group is, you're still feeling very tired. You know, if you're out on tour for week upon week, um, I think that the staying in the word is even more than being with people and, you know, getting that time in the morning. But what really shocks people is for how much I talk on the tour at the end of the day, the way that I unwind is I call my family and talk about my day. I talk and talk and talk. And then when I have time alone, like in the middle, like if there's Smithsonian a couple of hours for how much we walk on tour, walking by myself is how I recharge. So it's kind of weird. The two things that I do on tour that drain my energy actually give me energy, which tells me that I might be in the right profession. So <laughs> could be. That's good. I will I do want to add that I love quality conversation. So if yeah. we're at a memorial and 
you know, I spout out all the things about Lincoln or something and someone pulls me aside and has a really fun conversation about some behind the tour topic that really gives me a lot of energy and, and it gets me really excited. So I love good quality conversation. Yeah. I was about to say, I think that your, um, your introvertness of having worked with you, I know that that is opposite of what the case is. So even if, um, you feel like it does maybe after a week, all of us Mm -hmm. are just ready for a good sleep. (laughs) (laughs) well good stuff guys well hey uh thanks for the question joyce and as just uh as a reminder you can email any questions you have for us that you'd like us to answer on our podcast uh, at behind the tour that's behind the tour one word at axacts dash tours Dot com behind the tours at xtours.com and we would love to hear from anybody uh, out there listening that has a question that they would like answered so send it in all right it's time for one of our favorite parts of the episode behind the door when we answer one of the most asked questions on tour what is behind that door so Corey. Why don't you give us the door that we're going to look behind today? Well, Erin, today's door comes from the United States Capitol building, which I'm sure many of our students, listeners have seen or recall from sometime in their life. And there was a door and statuary hall surrounded by, I don't know, dozens of statues representing dozens of states and what once was the United States um a house chamber where the House of Representatives met. Well, there is a sneaky door tucked behind those statues that not many people know what's behind, but our friend Krista knows what's behind that door. I do know what is behind that door. In fact, I've been fortunate enough to go behind that very door. So it's called, if you look for it, there's a little wooden plaque above and it says Lindy Boggs room. And so Basically, what this room was at one point was the Speaker of the House chamber. That's where the Speaker of the House had their had their office within the chamber. So they wouldn't have to go that far. It's just right there. And if you're going into Statuary Hall, you now pass the doors of what is now the Speaker of the House's office right in between the Dome and Statuary Hall. But this is the old one. And so this room is now utilized as a different purpose. This is the ladies' powder room. In the 1950s, what was going on is there was about quintuple amount of ladies who were serving as congresswomen. So there was about 17 ladies who shared one bathroom, and they thought this is not this is not probably how this should go. So they petitioned, and in 1962, they got their own powder room, which is now uh, what we call the Lindy Boggs room. And I was in there because they use it for now. Women members of Congress use that for special occasions. And so when I was working on the Hill, I was working for a woman member of Congress, and she threw a baby shower for one of the members who was having a baby, which is a very rare occurrence. And so she was having a baby. And so the women members, so Democrats and Republicans were invited. And there was this nice little time where um, I was a staff. And so I was 
pretty much an onlooker and cleaning up and, you know, doing all the duties of it. But it was pretty fun. It was very special. The Speaker of the House when I was there was, in fact, Nancy Pelosi. As many people know, she this is not her first time being Speaker of the House. So this was in 2008. And so she attended and um, a few other notable women that you would recognize. So it was a pretty special occasion. So but Corey, I believe it is also not only historical for the women, but wasn't there something that happened? In this yes. room that this we should how- take note of? I think so. I think there were probably more than one thing that happened, but there's <laughs> one actually kind of, yeah, kind of cool Definitely. thing that happened. It's very historic. Um, so there was a man, his name was John Quincy Adams. Yes, that man, our sixth president, the only president in American history who, after retiring from his presidency, was elected to go back and serve in the House of Representatives. So for 17 years, he served back in the House of Representatives. Well, he was pretty old at this point. It was 1848. And he was doing his job, hanging out in the House of Representatives when people noticed that he'd collapsed and wasn't looking very good. And sure enough, he'd suffered a stroke. Well, they carried him off and laid him in that very room. You've been calling the Lindy Boggs room. Um, Back, back then was this the speaker's chamber and they laid him on a, a little couch in there and that is where he died two days later in february of 1848 so pretty historic that one of our former presidents died in the united states capitol building fascinating oh yeah you know Corey, and you're from mm-hmm. wisconsin and so am i i'm live in the southeast portion but uh, up a little bit north of the Wisconsin Dells area, there's uh, Adams County, yeah. and uh, Adams County was actually incorporated in 1848. Yeah, and because Wisconsin really? became a state year. in 1848. Really? Yeah, so kind of cool that they named that county in honor of, of uh, John Quincy Adams. That is yeah. really cool. I never put that together, Aaron. That's really cool. We were just talking about this year yeah. in class today because we're talking about James K. Polk because he was the president in that in that day. The war with Mexico was ending. It's kind of a big year. It is a big year. Yeah. Well, and on top of which, too, he was 80 years old. And the median mm. age at that point was 38. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing Crazy. when you look at these. Yeah, it's just nuts. The wow. the amount of years that some of these men lived in. Um, mm. You could really argue, and we'll probably, I think we're going to be talking about this later in this episode. So. so stay tuned. <laughs> but, you know, you could argue that God really had placed him at where he was for such a time as of where he was of this. And he was there and um, it's pretty amazing to look and go, he had to live that full life because I think that God had a really big plan for his life. So it's exciting to study that out. So that is what is behind the door. Hi, my name is Nolan Hargis, and I am one of the education program leaders for American Christian Tours, and I have been working for them as a tour guide for a little over 25 years. I love being able to go to the different places that we get to go, and I love going to new places. Pennsylvania is full of great places that you can go to actually look at ideas to complement your curriculum, what you're trying to do. When you're looking at Civil War, obviously you can go to Gettysburg, you can go to the Shriver House and see it from uh, the citizen's perspective, or you can go up to Lancaster County and participate in the Underground Railroad and see what it was like as they worked to get people who were slaves up to be free. Uh, or if you want to look, uh, if you want to concentrate more in the, in the colonial 1770s, war for independence, uh, founding of our country time period, 
man, there's Independence Hall, there's Liberty Bell, there's the Constitution Center that talks about the, the We the People program, phenomenal. Obviously going to Valley Forge, going to the Washington Crossing, or just some of the places there in Pennsylvania that can really add a new dimension to talking about the founding of our country. Uh, if you want to talk about religious freedoms, go to Lancaster County, talk about the Amish, talk about the Mennonites and, and what is their life like and why do they uh, worship the way they do and what's important to them, talk about family and what are some things that are attractive? What can we take away from what they do and how what they're willing to do? Love that stuff there. And then of course, there's the fun things, the modern culture things, pop culture, if you will, uh, going to the uh, Rocky Steps there in Philadelphia and talking uh, and going up the steps and seeing the statue of Rocky Balboa, or uh, maybe go to Sight and Sound Theater. What a great opportunity to see huge theater, bigger than any of the Broadway theaters that I've been to, and seeing great acting, the special effects that they've got there, and every one of the shows they do is stories from the Bible taken and made lifelike and helps to really react to uh, what they're doing there. I encourage you to look at that. And then of course, Hershey, Pennsylvania is another place. Uh, the story there behind what Milton Hershey did is phenomenal. Uh, so just some great things. I would encourage you, take a look, uh, go to our Axe website, take a look at the uh, at axe-tours.com and see some of the different ideas that maybe you can take and add to your curriculum to really uh, emphasize the things that you're looking to do so that we can uh, help you accomplish your mission at your school. Welcome back. Well, we are going to continue our conversation um, of Carved in Stone as we have been doing over the last several weeks. This week, ironically, though, we're going to be talked about what is not carved in stone. Uh, we are going to be speaking on the issue of abolition and the Underground Railroad movement and the abolition movement in general. Um, it's kind of a time that wasn't really that we don't talk about or commemorate as much. And so we're going to take a few minutes here to really kind of get down what is the abolition movement? Why are we talking about it? And how did it impact America for the better and really the involvement of Christians within that context as well? So Aaron, why don't you go ahead and start us off? I know you have some great information for us about the abolition movement. Yeah, Krista, this is just a super interesting topic. Um, and there's mm -hmm. so much to it. And there's so many details and so many people involved. But I think to create just a, a little bit of a time frame would be good um, just quickly. So when we think of the abolition movement, we think of, all right, you know, we had uh, early on in colonial times, we had slaves that uh, it's it some point were being brought into the United States and that, and that continued. So there was a movement uh, that started almost immediately because of a lot of the Christians that were saying, this is this wrong, you know, it, you know, slavery is just wrong. So I think from 1783, when the American Revolutionary War ended and the treaty was signed through the next hundred years to 1783 and maybe even 88 uh, can be defined as that movement that was really responsible for uh, creating this climate uh, in America uh, and even Western Europe that was really necessary for ending slave trade uh, and slavery. So, um, you know, Krista, there were, uh, in Corey, um, there, there's, you know, following, uh, I think, you know, after the Declaration of Independence in 1776 and following our country's separation from Great Britain, um, there were a number of states that moved towards abolishing slavery. 
Okay, they didn't just settle, um, but these states, including Pennsylvania, most of them were in the north, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, uh, Vermont, Rhode Island, Connecticut, even New York, were very much uh, motivated towards abolishing slavery. I also think, I guess one other thought I have too, within the, the context of abolishing slavery, the abolition movement in the states, is that there were a number of uh, church denominations that were involved as really, I think, significant opponents of slavery uh, and, and advocates for, for equal rights, um, especially under our Declaration of Independence, right, guys? I mean, mm-hmm. um, that all men are created equal. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, churches like the Quakers, the, the Methodists, uh, Presbyterians, and I'm sure there were others. Um, and I can even think of religious leaders. There's one guy that I read about that was a Quaker. Um, I think it was Anthony Benezet uh, that was a, just an outspoken man against slavery. And then there was another, uh, like uh, an evangelical leader. Um, he, he was a Presbyterian and a signer of the Declaration, uh, Benjamin Rush. Uh, Benjamin Rush was just an amazing, amazing man as far as what he did in America. But his heart as a Christian and as a believer, and that's, you know, you can read about him, uh, was very much against slavery and he saw the evils of it. And he was actually one of the founders of the nation's first abolition societies. Uh, And there's so many other names, uh, you guys, that that could be brought up. But, you know, ultimately, the the abolition movement would culminate in America, you know, with the 13th Amendment. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, too, like when you look and go, it's easy to have this be about nations, right? Like the slave trade actually began in 1660. And up until this point, there hadn't been that, you know, if I always remember seeing this in my history books when I was um, a homeschool kid and I had my, my, all my <laughs> books out. And I remember in my history book that they would always have that triangle. It would be from Europe mm-hmm. to Africa, to Africa, to, um, you know, the Caribbean or, you know, basically right. North America. Yeah. And it was always, it was that triangle of produce of, you know, we get people from Africa and all this trade going on. And it was so lucrative and it was so much money. And that was the issue is that they would not give up, not the fact that men are created equal or that black people were men. They knew that it would cost them something Mm -hmm. to give up their slaves, these slaveholders a lot of times. And so when you're looking at it, a lot of the issue wasn't abolishing slavery as it's stated, but some of those early years, those early abolition years, um, I think particularly of 1807 when Thomas Jefferson signed into law the importation of slaves. That was a huge step of this because it stopped the, you know, really stopped the circle or triangle of the imp- of all of the money going in and out of slaves. And so then it became about in America from 1807 on really was that westwardization of where do slaves begin or, you know, where do they actually have a place in America? You know, if we have these new states coming in and there were with all the Western expansion, there were so many states that were coming in, where does slavery have its place? And so I think that that's always an issue too, that as you know, we're looking at Westward expansion, is there slavery out there? But also, like you mentioned, Aaron, the church was moving out there. And so you have this Christianization of really a lot of the frontier. And what part did all of this play together? And how did it culminate into having a civil war that 
divided our nation. And um, I don't know, I think it's, it's an interesting kind of thought process to go through all of the bigger ideas of it, but it really came down to like what you said, individuals. Yeah. And Corey, I know that, you know, um, that you've been studying this for a while now and, you know, have you come across individuals or what are your thoughts on even this whole issue? Ooh, so many thoughts and so many, yeah, uns, unsung heroes of this movement. Yeah. You know, like we talked about, they're not carved in stone, but sometimes their stories aren't even known as far as how much yeah. they were willing to sacrifice. Because like you said, this was lucrative. This, this, a lot of times their entire family investment was in the livelihood, like lives. So um, it just blows my mind. But, you know, there were a lot of people who who spent a lifetime pursuing this. Like you mentioned, Benjamin Rush, huge, hugely influential man. He was really good friends with the Adams family, actually of Massachusetts, not of television. Yeah, we'll have to, have to make that <laughs> distinction. Let me clarify. John Adams family. Um, and John Adams had a son named John Quincy Adams, who was just, you know, a little kid growing up during the revolutionary war and went to Europe with his dad and became rather educated and, um, immersed in the cultures of Europe, but always the, the Adams family were very adamant against slavery. So that was the kind of the culture that little JQ grew up in and then came back and served as our president, went back into the House of Representatives for 17 years. And his main motivation for going back to serve his country for the remainder of his life was to see the end of slavery. Like when he'd been in England. Um, and I've been digging this out for so long and I still have never gotten a good answer because while he was in England, like he met his wife there, she's English. They were married there, half English. Um, there was a man serving in parliament, um, William Wilberforce, and he was advocating for the end of slavery in England. And so I don't, I've never found out if they ever met each other, but John oh Quincy gosh. being a diplomat, like he was there, like they had to have met or he had to have heard of There's him. no way. There's no oh way my gosh, that's have, amazing. Right? Well, and they certainly heard of yeah. each other, I'm sure. I mean, Oh, that's... for sure. Yeah. How much John Adams was known around the world and John Quincy. Yeah. So for sure, I, I know, I just know they met, but for sure, yeah, heard each other. So John Quincy, um, he saw himself as like the Wilberforce of America. And that's like what motivated him to, to go back to the house and argue. And there was a, have you guys heard of the gag bill? I have not. Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, it was literally a bill that was passed in Congress to keep the slavery topic off, off the docket. Like no one was allowed to talk about it. Basically it was to shove a gag in John Quincy Adams's mouth because they got so tired of hearing him bring up this topic that was so divisive between the states. So he had to it put him back a day, a year or two, but he eventually got it overturned. And so that he could bring up this topic again of, okay, guys, it's 12 o'clock time to talk about slavery. <laughs> um, well, yeah. or even just to really quick add to the gag rule. Yeah. So the gag rule, once they got it overturned after eight years, mm-hmm. he was given a staff that was made out of one whole, like a tusk oh of an elephant, I think. And he was given it as, you know, kind of a victory. Like you have now <laughs> over overdone the gag rule. Like you've now won. And it's in the Smithsonian's today. Oh it's actually on display in the democracy, um, American history. I love that. It makes me think American of like history. in kindergarten, we have like a talking stick. It was like yes. the original. No, that's, stick. yep. That's exactly. <laughs> yes. That's exactly it. You get it. <laughs> Sorry. I, continue. But seriously though. And so like, we already know he died in the Capitol in 1848. Um, which was years before 
the Emancipation Proclamation, the 13th Amendment. So after 80-some years of pursuing this dream of seeing slavery ended in our nation and just seeing our, our nation continually divided over it, like so divided, um, he never saw the fruits of his labors. And yet the seeds that he planted while in Congress continued to blossom and to grow because he, so he died in February, but the November before he died, there were, you know, a new batch of congressmen who came in and there was one who came like totally out of nowhere, only served one term. So two years in Congress, they overlapped for three months. And this young dude was like, I mean, he was going places, but not real fast. <laughs> Bless his heart. But he was in, he was in, he was part of the funeral procession of John Quincy Adams when he was, when he died. But it was Abraham Lincoln. Like, what? I know. In 1848, their lives passed for just three months, but apparently it was enough to spark this man on to finish that dream and carry that baton that, who, you know, who knows where that really, that vision started. Was it Wilberforce? Was it John Newton? Was it Benjamin Rush? Was it? Marquis de Lafayette, who knows where these, the, but all of these people continued to push and pull and prod and, and work and sacrifice to see that that movement continue. So that's amazing. Well, and think of too, okay, so if you are on the other side of John Quincy Adams, you must have been, you know, morbidly so excited that he died. And even think, so the Fugitive Eight um, mm-hmm. Slave Act of 1850, yeah. that's only two years later. Yeah. They must have thought, we're going to do whatever we mm-hmm. want. John Quincy Adams is gone. And it's like kind of that idea that, you know, when Satan thinks that he's won mm-hmm. and actually mm-hmm. the big finish is oh, going to be coming down oh, the line. Yeah. So it's kind of amazing to look and go, he really did almost hand over that passion then to that next generation. And he knew Thomas Jefferson as a child and, you know, he grew up with him in France and in England and, you know, it's just amazing how it all overlaps. And then for Abraham Lincoln to come in um, is just amazing. But I know that Aaron, I think of us three, you have actually been to the underground railroad museum that they have in Cincinnati, um, Ohio. And I've never been there, but I know that the underground railroad was just hugely influential during this, this era. Can we talk about that for a couple of minutes? Yeah, Krista, the underground railroad was, was extremely influential. Um, and uh, there's there's a number of people that were connected with that in, d- during the time frame with with uh, slaves actually being set free and seeking freedom, uh, and they were assisted by not just people like you know the famous ones like Harriet Tubman and even Frederick Douglass that was involved, but a lot of um, white people, okay, not mm-hmm. just black people, but white people too, that were really on board with the the Underground Railroad and no uh, removing uh, slaves and giving them their freedom. So this is a huge movement. You know, when you start reading about some of these people and why they did what they did in assisting slaves um, to help them with their freedom and win their freedom, um, they had this they had this deep understanding that I think a lot of not only our founding fathers, um, but a lot of people throughout this hundred year period of time really had. Um, and it was, it was the relationship with God, the relationship with the Lord that motivated them. Um, because yeah, Hey, we've got a declaration that says all men are created equal. Um, and we have certain unalienable rights that all mankind has. 
So, uh, yeah, in, I don't know, what else about the underground movement, uh, you guys, would you include? Well, I think that there's so much to talk about and we don't want to, you know, talk about everything in one episode. We want to leave some, leave people hungry to come back for more. But I mean, it is amazing though, when you look that, you know, between 1810 to 1850, they estimated about a hundred thousand slaves were led to freedom. Um, They're, you know, if you were a conductor, you were someone who actually brought people from place to place. I think, isn't it like they estimate about 20 miles between each of the different stops along the railroad and they would have to travel during the night and hide during the day. And, you know, there's just so much to go with it, but those brave people, um, they were not just fighting, you know, the people who owned slaves, but they were fighting the governments of each of the state. And then after the fugitive slave act of 1850, which mandated Mm. for all of America that people from the South could go back up North and bring their slaves back and they would have the assistance of the federal government. It became hugely dangerous and um, people still persevere. So I think it's, it's a great call for all of us to want to be brave like that, to still do the right thing. Even, even sometimes when the law doesn't back you. Well, and Krista, you're right. And I think for people that, that know God's word and, you know, I think we sometimes isolate and think about the people in our past that were instrumental in founding our nation because of an evil like slavery existing um, that they, that, that everybody was the same. Well, no, you have a whole, a lot of people, and I would even say predominantly in America, that that are that are standing against slavery. And like you said, you know, the fugitive slave law that was passed in 1850. Um, people knew. I think people, a lot of people, knew God's word, and that they were even going directly against. God's word, uh, like it's you know in Exodus that pronounced the death penalty for people that were kidnapped for purposes of slavery. Um, that scripture is it's expressly of you know, violated, um, by this. So I, you know, my mind always goes back to God's word as a moral standard. And I'm just positive that there's so many people that knew God's word and yet a lot that chose to ignore it. Mm -hmm. I was like the the clarification for students about how just because something is lawful, like slavery doesn't necessarily make it right. So the standard of, of truth and righteousness is not what's stamped by the Supreme court or your congressman, it always has to go back to the word. And again, that's what motivated these people, you know, sure it was lawful, but doesn't necessarily make it right. So that's why we have to work so diligently. And some of them were extreme and some, um, there were a lot of, a lot of paths that they took. But one other thing you guys, I thought of too, and we've talked about this before is like in 1854, you know, um, is, is the the cans being kicked down the road in 1854, the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Mm-hmm. And that allowed slavery to be introduced uh, into uh, new territories. Um, but th- this was also a, a, a prime date in American history because th- there was a number of abolitionists that, that basically revolted in Congress um, mm-hmm. against uh of the Democratic Party at that time, uh, then in charge of Congress, and started the Republican Party. Right here in Wisconsin. <laughs> so, And I always like to just say that Republican and Democrat are very different in their meanings today than what they mm-hmm. were then. So it's always, you know, just the, the party, though, of Republican. Itself, yeah. So. yeah. Well, origins are important and beginnings are important. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then mm-hmm. like you guys, we said a little bit earlier, just in 1865, when the 13th amendment is passed, um, 
pretty pretty cool milestone that that culminated uh, at the end of the Civil War. All right. Wow. We have covered a lot of ground and yet I feel like we didn't get anywhere. There's so much to talk about when it comes to this topic. Uh, We're literally just scratching the surface. So hopefully we've whetted your appetite with, um, and maybe set you on some quests to go discover a little bit of abolitionist history yourself. Um, and what a, what a widespreading topic it is. Um, but before we wrap up, we want to make sure to remind you to click, to share, subscribe, tell your friends, repost, do all the things, become a fan, leave us, leave us reviews, leave us your thoughts, send us your emails, give us your questions. We want to hear from you. We want this show to be helpful and a blessing and just all exciting for you. Um, so send your emails to us at behind the tour at axacts-tours.com. And we can't wait to hear from you. Well, at the end of each episode, we like to leave you with a call to action. Um, America's story has been carved through the personal courage and ingenuity of individuals who've stood strong when others wouldn't. We want you to take courage and be inspired by the lives of those who've gone before us, who, like Queen Esther in the Bible, were here for such a time as this. And had the strength to say and live out, if I perish, I perish. Krista is going to round this episode out with arguably one of the most famous conductors on the Underground Railroad. So Krista, take us away. Thanks, Corey. Well, I am going to be speaking a little bit about Harriet Tubman, though a few minutes really does not do justice to the story that is hers. Harriet Tubman was born in 1820 and just... um really such an amazing person. She was born into slavery. And when she found out that she was going to be sold into further slavery, which means basically she was from Maryland and she was going to be going further down South to where she was going to be sold. She decided the night before that she was going to run away because she knew if she went further South, it'd be harder to go North. So she made her escape one night and it was just a harrowing experience for her because her brothers were going to go with her. They made it part of the way and they decide to turn back. And she said, I will not turn back because there are two things that I have the right to liberty or death. And so she decided she was going to take her liberty. And so she made it all the way up to uh, Philadelphia. She lived there for about a year working as a maid, just kind of getting life. And she decided she needed to start making trips back south. She had left a husband named John. And when she went back to go find him, he had actually remarried, assuming that she had either died or just um, decided that she was now a done part of her life. And so she said at that point, John is dead to me. So she made instead, like for me, I probably would have like curled into a ball and just died at that point. I would not have taken that very well. I'm not going to lie to you, my friends, but she decided, Hey, let's, let's, you know, she had nothing left to live for. So let's go Mm -hmm. ahead and find something to die for. So she started taking people out of slavery and up into freedom. And, um, it's estimated that she took 19 different trips freed over 300 slaves. Now this is interesting because if you watch the movie Harriet, it's a little bit graphic. So make sure that, you know, (laughs) use viewer discretion, but if you watch it at the end, it says she only took 70 people out of slavery. And so I had to look that up because Multiple Mm. sources say over 300. And so she took 300 people out of slavery. Even when she was living up north, she did excessively amazing acts. Like she helped this one man named Charles Nolly died. He was our um, 
not die, but he actually did not die. He was convicted to be brought back down south because his slave owners had come up to get him after the Fugitive Slave Act. And she helped him escape up to Canada. Just this heroic story. And she was always doing these great exploits, so much so that when the uh, Reb- or when the Civil War started, she became a spy for the Union down in the South because she knew all these secret routes and like God had prepared her for this time. So she is one of the only women in American history who ever had her own um, her own ideas and her own basically this plan to go down and free slaves. So she led a group of freed black men and they went and took over 800 slaves and freed them during the rebel or during the civil war. I mean, just amazing, amazing life. Everything that she did is just, um, you know, really as Americans and as people, you look and go, she had no reason to, she could have just been fine in her slavery. She could have just been fine living the life that she had really not any reason to leave, except for she knew that thing that God had placed in, in her heart that I have liberty or death. And one thing that is just truly remarkable is that she was known to have heard directly from God to have these visions. And she would like, there's no reason to be able to explain except for God would show her things. Like she would go left when she should have gone right because God had told her to. And had she gone right, she would have been caught. She freed so many people in like 10 to 20 at a time, just amazing, amazing stories. And so it's really amazing for us to look at her life because of all that she did for the, you know, for the black movement, for women, all these things. And she doesn't have a huge memorial. And so they're talking today about a couple of different ways. She might become a statue for Maryland in Statuary Hall. They talked about that as recently as 2017. And there have been talks for about the last four or five years about her replacing Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill. So I think that that's pretty cool. Um, I think that's great that there's awareness being um, kind of brought up. But as Christians, we should for sure take, you know, take heart that in those moments when it should seem like we should just stay and be content in whatever trials God has put us in. If God has placed something in your heart, be strong Mm -hmm. to be that Moses. She was known as Moses to go back and lead others to freedom too. the freedom that we have. That's such a Galatians five, you know, truth that the freedom it's for freedom's sake that christ came so take heart take action stand when you should and run Mm. and grab people to freedom with you as well yeah that's awesome Uh, krista thank you so much for sharing in that call to action about the life of uh, an extraordinary woman uh, and her faithfulness to uh, what god was calling her to awesome well we we believe that one person can make a difference right Um, We believe that together we can make a big difference, and we believe that inspiring people, old and young, is really important, Um, and uh, the past gives us insight into the future. And Krista, Corey, and I were really passionate, and hopefully you guys can tell that, about providing tour programs that make a difference and many others that work with American Christian Tours. Well, you guys, um, thanks for joining us today. And as always, remember that your story, your story is a part of his story and that God put you here and now for such a time as this. We hope to see you again.